Hello, everyone. You are tuned in to CK Huddle, the podcast that unpacks and simplifies complex money, accounting, and tax topics that impact the bottom line. I'm Ignatius L. Jackson, CPA, and my co-host is Eric Pierre, CPA. We are practicing CPAs with a knack for translating tax and accounting topics into a language that is easily understood. This podcast is for everyone, working professionals, household managers, retirees, business owners, professional athletes, boomerangs, college students, and yes, you. It's time to increase your money management IQ, so let's huddle up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to CPA Huddle. This is Ignatius Jackson, CPA, and with my co-host, Eric Pierre, CPA. Good afternoon. And that's enough of my sexy voice for the day. All right. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, Hello, everybody. Are we going to have a contest? You want, me to try, you want me to try mine real quick? Let's see who's better. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, all right. <clears throat> well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to CPA Huddle. We're here to keep you safe, warm, and secure from the IRS. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today's topic is going to be about Financial Literacy Month. So if you don't know, April is Financial Literacy Month. And since this is our last uh, episode for the month of April, we wanted to spend some time talking about some topics, some hot topics that, you know, both of us kind of care about. um, And you frankly should care about because these are all things that are going to help you to get to financial freedom to the point where hopefully you don't have to work so much when you get to your late 50s, early 60s. You can actually retire and have enough money to you know, be able to enjoy the, the golden years of your life, if you want to call them that. Um, and, you know, really kind of enjoy life as you're going along, but also investing towards your future. So hashtag pay yourself first is what I would put uh, in terms of this podcast episode here. I so, like that. You like that? Hashtag yeah. pay yourself first. Pay yourself, so, hashtag pay yourself first. <laughs> so stay tuned, um, like, subscribe, all that great stuff. Here's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to touch on compound interest. We're going to touch on retirement accounts, Roth versus, you know, traditional pre-tax accounts. Okay. We're going to talk about mortgages and maybe you shouldn't spend so much darn money on a house that you're just going to live in that doesn't make you any money. Okay. I got too far into that already, but we'll get back to that. Uh, credit scores. <laughs> Um, use of credit cards and just kind of some general investing type tips and some things that you can maybe consider doing. All right. Um, So with that said, let's go ahead and hop right on in. So the first thing I wanted to touch on and always curious to hear your thoughts about this too, Eric. um, But I wanted to kind of just talk about compound interest. Okay. So this is a key and essential component of financial literacy is understanding the impacts of compound interest. At the end of the day, the whole point to compound interest is the earlier you start investing, the less money it takes to get to your financial freedom number, whatever that is. Let's say you want to get to a million dollars in, you know, uh, net worth, $2 million in net worth, whatever that number is, the earlier you start, the easier it is to get there. Okay. Um, and the less work it'd take to get there as well. So from that perspective, what we wanted to do is just kind of explain, hey, here's a couple scenarios. So I want you to mention a tool. It's called investor.gov. 
on investor.gov, which is a U.S. website, a U, a U.S. government website. Okay, there's free calculators. It's called a compound interest calculator. You know, on there you can go in there and play around with some numbers and just kind of um, see what it would take to get to whatever number you're trying to get to. So, as an example, you know, I put in here $500 as an initial investment and then $500 a month towards uh, some type of investment strategy. We'll, we'll talk about some other things that, that you could potentially do to, to make money off of the money that you've already earned. But, you know, if you go through this, uh, $500 initial investment plus $500 monthly contribution, if you didn't know that equates to $6,000 for every year, which basically is the IRA contribution limit um, to a personal IRA account. Okay. And if you do that over 40 years, at just a 7% interest rate uh, return, compounding monthly, you would be a millionaire, $1.3 million, just putting away $6,000 a year, okay? Um, it's that easy. And if you were to get some good returns and you got more like 10%, which is what has been happening over the last several years, you know, um, then you're at $3 million oh. over 40 years. Imagine that. So if you start investing at 20, when most of us start, you know, working a little bit and you put away $6,000 a year, okay, or you get your parents to give you $6,000 a year to put away during the early years and then eventually, you know, get to the point where you're doing it yourself. But, you know, there's certain ways you can do that. This also goes into the strategy of paying your kids as well. I've talked about that before, I believe. Um, I don't know if it was on this show yet, but I've definitely talked about that on several occasions. But if you start paying, you know, if you get your kids involved in your business and they're contributing to Roth IRAs when they're like 10, 15 years old, something like that, by the time they're 40 or 50, they could have a million dollars sitting in their Roth IRA or in, in any sort of account. So this is pretty key. I don't know what you think, Eric. What do you got to say? I agree with you. You definitely should start investing when you're younger. You are. The less you have to commit monthly or annually to get to your goal. Uh, you know, unfortunately, in nations, our school system doesn't really talk about personal finance. Uh, it's not in our public schools. And if you, you know, hey, you know, we're both black men, you know, most of us in black community don't really talk about this. And it's something that needs to be spoken about, especially in our community. You know, people are living longer now and, uh, and especially with inflation, higher medical costs, when you're older, it's important to you know to save money because someday, as invincible as we think we are, we're not going to be able to work like this every day. Because physically, the body is just not able to. And also, even if you want to, when you're 70, do you really want to work 70 hours a week? You're putting your your health at risk. So hell no, I want to be retired by the time 50 right. or 55. Those are sometime in the range of 50 to 55. I'm going to be at the point where I don't need to do anything. The African-American community, we don't talk about money enough in general. I mean, yes, I know black families do. Mine did. My father was my father was a CPA. He's retired in West Palm Beach. He saved money over a long period of time. So now he gets to live the way he likes to live. He, he, he did very well, lives in a very beautiful home with my mother in West Palm Beach. Uh, I know people who've retired and they get to move across the country to where they want to live. When you save like this, as the nation's talking about, the nation's can you do a scenario, you take that same money 
Can you change from age 20 to 30 to reach the same number and just tell the audience how much more money you have to put in if you wait 10 years? So do 30 years? Yes, at age 30. Okay, so 30 years. Instead of if 40. If you put away 6,000 a year. Yeah. You at 7% will have 614,000 saved up. At a 10% return, you would have 1.1 million saved up. Instead of 3 million, so yeah, you're losing big yep. dollars. Yeah, $2 million you just lost by not putting it in 10 years earlier. So yeah, no, it's key. And I agree with you in terms of the community, man. It's a, it's a big issue uh, within the, the black community because we are often not investing in ourselves. Um, no, often spending money on what I consider to be foolish things. Um, some of those things we're going to talk about here. Um, and so, you know, wasting money and, and not spending it wisely is just, it gets you into a spiral that sometimes you can't get out of. And then, you know, you start affecting your credit scores and all this other stuff, which we're going to get to here in, in a second. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's, it's just pay yourself first. If you, if you, if you can commit, literally, if you, I just showed you, if you commit to just $500 a month going into some type of an investment account, it could be the easy thing like a Vanguard fund or something. That's how easy it is. And if you do that over 40 years, bam, you're good to go. And plus you have money there in, in case of emergencies if you ever need it. So anyways, all right, compound interest. Anything else you want to say about that or should we move to the next topic? No, I think it's just moved to the next topic. I think you covered right. it. And and real quick again, the example that Nations uh, gave, the longer you wait, the harder you got to commit more in a short period to get your number. So, and if you don't know which number is, you should either, you can contact us to work with you on it. Or if you work with a financial planner, you should sit down and figure out what that number is. Because, you know, I see those commercials say, I'm going to save for a gazillion dollars. Well, okay, you're not Jeff Bezos. So, I mean, maybe you are, but if you're not at that level of wealth, you know, depending on your situation, there's some people I know that only need, I know some people that don't have high expenses. They can retire up half a million dollars. So everybody's situation yeah. is different. Um, because you, your house may be paid off and you don't care to move out. So right. you should talk with a good financial professional like us and figure out what the end game is because someday you're not going to want to go to work every day. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Or you just, or you, or you may just, or, or you may just want to wind down and not work every single day. There are people that are older that work, but they don't work every day because they don't have to. Right. Nope. I hear you. All right. Retirement accounts. So, as many of you know, there's basically two options for retirement accounts. One would be a pre-tax account. One would be an after-tax account. Okay. Now, what's the difference between those two? Okay. Ultimately, what that means is you get a tax deduction on the money going in and you pay taxes on the profit at a later date whenever you pull it out. Okay. Or you don't get a tax deduction on the money going in. And then you don't have to pay any taxes on the profit at a later date when you pull it out, as long as you're um, at the point where you're 59 and a half and reach retirement age, um, then you shouldn't have to pay any taxes. Okay. So those are the major difference between the two accounts. Now I will tell you personally, my personal opinion, I very much encourage and favor the Roth accounts when it comes to retirement planning. 
okay? Even if you make a ton of money and you're trying to save yourself on taxes, here's what I want to kind of say to maybe change your mindset on this. Would you rather pay taxes on $100,000 or would you rather pay taxes on a million dollars? That's the distinction, okay? So that $100,000 you put into an after-tax account where you didn't get a tax deduction to put it into it, if you invest it wisely over the next 20 to 30 years, that should easily turn into a million dollars of profit. I would prefer to pay tax on the 100,000. I don't care what the rate is versus paying any taxes at all on the profit of a million dollars later on down the line. I don't know, what do you think, Eric? I definitely agree. Um, you know, the, uh, I just, you know, it's funny, I had a call with somebody yesterday and, uh, you know, the uh, person I call with told me that, you know, you should take advantage of the company match for the 401k, that's free money. But they were also putting 6,000 a year into a traditional IRA. And the person was over 50 years old. I said, do you realize that since you're over 50, if your salary is under, if your income's under 120, was it 122, 124? That uh, if you're over 50, you can put 7,000 a year because they give you extra thousand dollar catch up. And their financial advisor kept putting a, put them in a traditional. I said, for the same money, you better put it in, and you already paid tax on it. You should go ahead and put it in the Roth so that when you retire in 10 years, all that money is tax free that accumulates. Right. And even if you had to pull out some money for an emergency in a Roth, the tax penalties are not nearly as stringent as a traditional IRA because yeah. it's after-tax dollars, you know? So actually there's no penalty at all if you're pulling out your contribution to the- Right, that's what I'm saying. It's not right. So Your yeah, contribution, no you have to keep track of it, but the contribution you pull out, that's yep. tax-free. It's the amount that grows, but the penalties are not as substantial because yep. these are after-tax dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, and that's why it is really important if you have a Roth account to keep track of how much you put in over the years. Get yourself a little spreadsheet or something. Keep track of it. If you tell us uh, for tax purposes and you use the same preparer every year, then they might have that on your tax return, but it's not really even required to be reported on your taxes. So, um, you know, don't count on that. I would definitely keep track of that yourself. Know how much you put in, um, especially if you switch custodians, you know, for the Roth account, um, it gets even more tricky to try to figure out that number, but that's the key to Roths is, and he stole my thunder a little bit, but you can definitely take out your contributions at any point. I think of a Roth IRA as a glorified savings account. If you have money sitting in a savings account in the bank, and it's more than like $1,000 or $2,000 sitting in a savings account at a freaking bank, that is such a waste of your dollars, in my opinion. I would prefer that you try to put that into a Roth IRA and accumulate that inside the Roth IRA. Now you're limited to how much you would do per year, but if you start accumulating that, you can always pull the money out in case of emergency. So if that's your emergency fund, you can always pull that money out um, and, and utilize it as you need to. So. That's just something I'll, I'll throw out there for the retirement accounts. And that's my, my two cents on which one you should consider using, um, which will ultimately get you to a point where, you know, it, it becomes that much more powerful. Now, the other great benefit of retirement accounts that a lot of people don't think about, 
I hear the argument sometimes, well, what if I, you know, die before I reach retirement age? What happens? I, 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 I won't get to use the money. Well, yeah, you won't get to use it, but it does pass on to your heirs, whether that's your spouse or your kids or whoever. The money passes on to them, okay? And it passes on without any tax implications if it's in a Roth account, okay? And guess what? Another nice benefit is they have 10 years after you pass, unless it's your spouse, in which case she can just, or she or he can just roll it over into their Roth account and consider it um, as a part of their retirement planning and they can keep it for as long as they want, okay? But if it's a kid, for example, they have basically 10 years to pull the funds out or continue investing it and growing it even further. And then when they pull it out, guess what? Not taxable. Okay. So that's the power of if you create Roth IRAs and you have millions of dollars in there, it's a great tax planning strategy to, um, you know, pass those, that stuff along in, in your state and not have to worry about, you know, certain taxes that might come with that. So I don't know, something else to think about. All right. I absolutely agree with you. It's important, by the way, set up your uh, beneficiaries on your, uh, on your retirement account so it can be transferred to the right person immediately, since that doesn't have to go through probate. Uh, yep. And then if your situation changes, so for instance, if I have an account, I'm single, and then I'm married, you want to update that to your spouse or family. And if you have children, if you want to make sure there's some children, so you should make sure that these things are always up to date periodically. Uh, we read a situation where uh, Kobe Bryant had a uh, child that was not included on his estate. I think his youngest child is newborn now. Obviously, yeah. Vanessa looking out will probably you know take care of it. But that was just something that I read when Kobe Bryant died that you know one of the kids was not on it, but I think it was the infant which would make sense. So even wealthy people yeah. are, sometimes overlook these things. Make sure that. Who you want inheriting your stuff, your money, your assets, have that updated periodically. Because with COVID and life, you just never know when your time is up. That's right. That's right. All right. Mortgages. All right. Ooh, ouch. How much house is too much house is <laughs> the moral of the story here. Okay. So here's a couple of th thoughts that I have on this. I would say... Don't buy too much house that you don't need. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's not, I mean, yes, a house long-term, sure, can be a good investment. But you have to think about it this way. It's also a cost center, okay? And it's something that you don't get a huge benefit of by you know spending a ton of money on your mortgage payments every every year especially with the changes in the tax laws where you don't really get to take advantage of the mortgage interest in most cases especially if you live in a state that has low state taxes um, and things of that nature so it, it, it becomes a bit of a, a a lot a sunk cost basically and so i would say you know do the warren buffett <laughs> mentality he's still living in the same house that he bought I don't know, decades ago, I think at this point. Yeah. Um, and he paid a very low price for it. And he does not, you know, invest too much into a home. Like obviously the guy could have a mansion if he wanted to, 
but to him, it's a waste of money. I mean, and I agree. I, I would say if you're, you know, if you have a house where basically you're just living in it and you spent and the market that you live in, the average price is like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars and you went out and spent eight hundred thousand dollars on it. Honestly, that's a waste of money. Just imagine what you could have done if you took the extra, let's say the average in your market is 300,000 and you want to spend 800,000 on the house. That extra $500,000 could have been spent acquiring a duplex, potentially even a fourplex. Um, you could have invested in something else, you know, along the way that would have ultimately brought in more income to you and helped you get to your financial independence number, whatever that is, um, you know, for you quicker. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it, it would just get you there that much quicker. So I don't know. What do you what do you have to add? I agree because, for instance, um, if you were to take that five hundred thousand and invest in apartment syndicates, you could probably be uh, a sponsor. Uh, you could split out to five at five hundred thousand. You could probably have ownership of a three hundred unit apartment complex in the right syndicate. And out here in Austin, the rent's pretty high. So let's say 1,500. So 300 units, 1,500 a month. Okay. 450,000 a month times 12, 5.4 million. And if the operating profit is 40%, 2.16 million, and you get to keep, say, 25% of that, that's $540,000 a year. I wasn't assuming that they had cash for the 500k, but, well, <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, well, you could just saying that that kind of money you could you could have having three hundred three ownership of three four hundred units, yes, apartment units oh, over the over time, yeah, yeah, over time, yeah, and in one you know, and in one year based on the rents out here in Austin, you get that money back in cash, yeah, um, plus you get the tax write-offs and. A lot of that money would not be taxed with the uh, accelerated depreciation methods for the first few years. Yep. So, to each is their own, you know. To each their own, but if, if nothing else, maybe take a second thought about this. You know, if you're about to buy a house that's super pricey, just kind of think twice about it. Um, another thing I'll mention are some comp common house hacks. Okay, so uh, let's say you you go buy a duplex. So you could probably get a duplex. So for $400,000, $500,000 in most mm -hmm. marketplaces easily. Uh, maybe even less, depending on what part of the area you want to live in. And now you can rent out one of the units and live another unit. And depending on the rents in those markets, sometimes you can get your entire mortgage paid for just by renting out one of the units. And basically you're living there for free, if you think yeah. about it that way. And you're building wealth by the duplex increasing in appreciation getting tax advantages because you're able to write off the cost of the mortgage and without having to itemize, which is an issue, you know, yes. right now because the standard deduction is so high. So mm -hmm. you get standard deduction on top of writing off your mortgage, which is even more powerful from, from a tax perspective and you're getting more cash flow coming in. So yes. bam, how do you like that tax hack or house hack, whatever you want to call it? No, I like it. Cause uh, you know, now I know here in Austin, I know in Austin, we're in San Diego, duplex is a little more expensive, but if you get the right deal, it pays to itself, whether you live in it or not. I have a yeah. client that uh, purchased a fourplex in San Diego and she's living in one of it and it's structured correctly to where, you know, we're gonna do the cost segregation. The other three tenants are gonna be paying for her to live in it. 
Yeah. Living in the fourth unit. And, you know, so she, that's going to help free up money for her financially and her businesses. Love it. Off, and obviously she'll get to have some of that money to invest in her business and some of it for, you know, she's been working with some of the, you know, New York life and, uh, you know, yeah. so these, these things it. work and, and you don't have to, and by the way, you don't have to have, if you've never owned a home, you can, uh, with the FHA, you can have your first, you can get the FHA on a duplex if you live there or claim as a primary home and you don't have to put a lot of money down. These, these hacks that were talking about, some of these hacks don't take a lot of money and nope. you're able to build wealth pretty quickly. Yep. <clears throat> you just have to be willing to uh, take the risk. You know, yep. you, you can put as little as $15,000 down to get a $500,000 duplex. And you'll yep. make more than $15,000 in, gro in gross rents. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think they all even go up to a fourplex, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if, if you're, yeah as long as you live yeah, in one of the units. As long as you live in one of the units, yep. Yeah, yeah, or it has to be a uh, primary home. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty it's, it's so powerful, so powerful. And real estate, if if you don't know, a lot of the rich people in this country, that is one of their primary assets they own is real estate, absolutely. because it is such a great long term investment strategy. So why not start with the place you're going to live and turning it into a profit center instead of a cost center. You know, honestly, uh, if you do the math too on the multifamily real estate, it the returns are much better than stock market. Yeah. Oh yeah. Year over year, I mean, I know the stock market you don't have to pay for replacing roof and all that, but if you manage your funds correctly, yeah, and you have a duplex for ten years, you'll make more than a Roth in ten, same Roth in ten years. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. I mean, uh, if there's a lot of statistics out there that the real estate market has exceeded the stock market hand over fist. Yeah. So, and that's not even just multifamily. That's all real estate, single family, multifamily, commercial. Yeah, but I, 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 but I recommend multifamily. The single yeah. family, you have to get the same returns multifamily. You have to have a lot more hot, hot units versus if you, you pay five, six hundred thousand, you can get two to four, depending on what market. Oh, more, 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 it's more revenue and cost efficient also for maintenance. So oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So that's mortgages. Some food for thought. Let us know what you think. Always curious to hear feedback and comments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> credit scores. So credit scores are very important, obviously. Um, and there's a couple key things about credit scores that you know I would just want to bring up. Um, one of them would be the makeup of the credit score. Okay, so first thing I would say is let's let's go down the breakdown of credit scores. All right, thirty-five percent of your credit score is your payment history. Okay, thirty percent is the amount that you owe on the credit score or, or, or on the credit accounts that you have. Okay, so what does that mean? Sixty-five percent of your credit score is based solely off of how you pay it and how much you owe, okay? So the keys there are, don't miss any payments. And let me just give you a, a little tip here. They only report payments when you miss them and you're 30 days or more late, okay? If you only missed a payment and you're only a week late, that's not gonna get reported. You know, if you turn this hard times, don't worry about that. 
but make sure you make that payment before it becomes 30 days late. That's where they're going to get you and they're going to kill you is if you make that payment more than 30 days late. Okay. So that is a very important part of your history. Also collections. If you owe a hospital bill or something like that, just make sure you make arrangements with them so that they don't go and report that stuff to your credit bureau and get that stuff taken care of and paid off. Okay. Now, in terms of the amounts owed, what that means is essentially is on your credit cards. How much of your credit card are you using? Okay. So the key there is you should only use maybe 10 to 20% of your available credit on a particular credit card in any given month. Okay. Now you can use more of it throughout the month if you want to, but the key is before your statement ends on your statement date, which is what gets reported to the credit bureaus. If you did not know that it's your statement date amount. Okay. Meaning uh, you, most banks are actually letting people know when their statement's going to end now. Um, I have Amex cards. I have Chase cards. I have city cards. They all tell you when your statement date's going to end. So a lot of the banks are actually letting people know because they want you to be able to manage your credit uh, reasonably. So check to see what your statement date end date is. And then on that date, make sure that your balance is in the 10 to 30% range, somewhere in that range. And that's going to give you the highest score. Obviously, the lower, the better. Okay. Um, now, also don't you know necessarily have a bunch of cards with zero balances because then that kind of shows them that you're not really even using it. But you know, if you kind of keep it in that 10 and 30% range, you're going to have a very high score. Okay. Now, the other components of the credit score are credit mix, meaning mortgages versus auto loans versus credit cards uh, versus other types of accounts. Uh, one of the worst accounts you can get is actually a retail credit card account. Um, they don't like those very much for whatever reason. So oh, man. stay away from those. <laughs> like the gap cards and the um, some of those other cards. That are I, I, I used to have a Nordstrom card. Nordstrom, yeah. Yep. So, and then length of credit history is another thing. Um, that impacts your score as 15%. Okay. Um, and then new credit. All right, so length of credit history is largely outside of your control, but the key there is start building your credit early. The more, you, the earlier you start building it, just by getting a credit card or whatever, the longer your credit history starts to, you know, kind of materialize. All right, new credit is about inquiries. Obviously, you don't want to have too many inquiries on your credit report, but it, as I mentioned, it's only ten percent of your score, so not that huge of a hit just because you're, you know, seeking credit. The key is how you're using the credit. Okay. Anything you want to add about that, Eric? No, I, th I think you, you got that right. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that credit, uh, it can really get in your way of, uh, you know, I can tell you from personal experience when I've had little credit scores, I've had to make certain purchases. It's cost me uh, more money to own cars. Um, some apartment complexes, do require you to have that, have good credit for you to, to rent from them. So if this is- Yep. Jobs are starting to look at your credit scores. Particularly if yeah. you have uh, financial positions, yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. So credit scores are very important throughout your life. Um, and again, the earlier you start, the better. Don't be too afraid of credit cards, which is our next topic, okay? Credit cards are- can be your friend if you use them wisely. 
Obviously, credit score is important. That's how you're going to get credit cards. Um, but using your credit card effectively, like as I mentioned previously, is how you're going to keep your score high or get, make your score go higher. Okay. Um, you know, I had a friend of mine who didn't have any credit cards, was like adamantly against them. Their score was like in the 600s, like low 600s, I believe. As soon as he opened up a couple of credit cards and he was using it effectively, his score jumped to like 750 within a matter of six months. So that's how important having credit cards is to your credit score. You want to have at least, I would say, two to three cards um, and, you know, just use them sparingly. You know, use only what you can afford to pay off every month. That's the key. All right. If you use only what you can afford to pay off every month, what you're going to use anyways, like if you're going to use your debit card, why not use it as a credit card transaction and then select a card that gives you rewards points. The nice thing about rewards points, as long as it's not a cash back, right? Rewards points are tax free. You don't have, you don't pay any taxes on rewards. When you go and you spend the rewards on travel gifts or travel credits for airline stuff or hotels or whatever it is that they give you, you know, back. Um, as long as they're not, you know, kind of giving you a cash back, that's usually going to be a tax free um, type of an item there. So rewards are pretty awesome. They're pretty sweet. It's a way to kind of gain some additional um, uh, benefits on your card. Okay. And, you know, it, it's just going to help you out all the way around. All right. Plus it's there for you in case you ever have an emergency and you just need that emergency cash uh, you, to spend something on something. Um, but again, just try your best to make sure that you pay it off every month and use the cards responsibly. That's where people often get into trouble. Credit cards is they go fund their vac next vacation on it and they don't have the money to pay for the vacation or they go, I don't know, go buy the new pair of Jordans or something like that. Hey, I, yeah, I like my Jordan. Oh, <laughs> oh, that on purpose. I said that on purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know you're, I know you're, I know you're a shoe guy. Listen, so, all right. So I'm going to address the Jordan thing. Yes. I do have an extensive shoe collection. That is true. I, I will someday post a picture. You can see it. However, um, my CFO, Ben Montgomery and I have this thing. Whenever we hit certain financial goals, I'm allowed to spend a little bit. It's called, so I have restrictions <laughs> on when I buy them. But and also, and that's the only thing I really uh, pay for myself. Otherwise, I, you know, I don't really buy anything. I mean, clothes, you know, which sucks being tall because uh, clothing is expensive. Uh, but you know, the other thing I want to say about credit cards is that um, the the reason that your credit cards are so important because when you travel. Your credit cards are important for, you know, rental car companies do take debit cards when you have the return flight. But if you use a, a credit card, they're not putting a hold in your bank account like a debit card. So places like rental car companies, hotels, they put holds on, on your bank account, which, you know, it can be problematic. Uh, the credit card companies also tend to give you better protection because if you have a fraudulent purchase, on a credit card, you're not out that money while it's in dispute versus a debit card. If there's fraud, that money's been taken. I had money taken from my debit card fraudulently. Now it wasn't for anything I did, but I was out. I was out quite a bit of money. Somebody was able to do an unauthorized Zelle account 
through my bank account and got close to limit $5,000. I did get it back. I was able to prove I didn't execute it. But had that been a $5,000 fraudulent credit card charge, there's no impact on my bank account whatsoever because that charge, they, you know, they, they don't put, they reverse it while investigation. So this is important, especially for small business owners. Uh, I do a lot of travel. It's important to have a, a credit card to at least cover your hotel and your rental car. When you go to the restaurant, the one-time purchase, I, you know, you can use a credit debit card. I, I can pay less. But for those bigger ticket items on the road uh, where there's holds, you want to have that credit card for that. Uh, and oh, I agree. Travel because, you know, in Nation, we were looking at hotels in Vegas for a conference and the Nation's card got charged for uh, a reservation. But had that been a debit card, his bank account would have been out that 10%. So that's my thought on that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I canceled that reservation. <laughs> well, uh, they didn't charge mine, which is funny. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no, absolutely. Um, and I don't know what kind of, what are some of your favorite credit cards in terms of points and stuff like that? I don't know if maybe. Uh, well, I don't have as many credit cards as I used to. Um, I like, I used to like Discover, um, Amex. Because I'm not willing to pay the membership fee, but I think American Express has phenomenal. If you're willing to pay the annual fee, American Express has some phenomenal programs where uh, I know with certain airlines, they're getting, giving you lounge access. Um, you're getting hotel automatic hotel, hotel statuses across multiple chains. I'm, I'm a platinum with Marriott. I don't have a Marriott card. I'm working on getting that. I'm waiting for them to redo the promotion to give you the 100,000 points for personal so I can, you know. Yep. That, um, but that's the American Express. Also know American Express, even though you pay the higher fee, their customer service is second to none. If there's yep. any sort of fraudulent charge, they take care of you immediately. They're, uh, as yeah, a merchant, yeah. I know American Express, I get nervous if there's a reversal charge because American Express will side with the cardholder, 99 of 100 because they're, they're charging you know, three to eight hundred dollars a year. Um, so, if you're willing to pay that money, I know for a business owner that that's that's tax deductible and it would be uh, worth your time to have. If yeah. I was gonna pick a new one, I'd pick Amex. Yeah, I agree. So, I from a personal car perspective, you know, a couple cards that I actually really like are one would be the Apple Card. It's actually pretty cool. I, I like oh, yeah. the, the functionality of the Apple Card because it connects to your phone. It also has a lot of great tools to kind of show you if you yeah. pay this much, you're going to pay this much in interest. If you pay this much, you'll pay this much in interest. If you pay this much, you won't pay any interest, et cetera, et cetera. So you can kind of run through a bunch of different scenarios and it's, it's got a lot of cool functionality to it. So additionally, from a personal perspective, um, you know, a good one is the American Express Gold Card or the Platinum Card. Either one of those are pretty good to me. It just depends on what you care about. Um, the Platinum Card gives you, like you said, the concierge, not concierge, uh, what do they call that thing? The uh, Centurion Lounge access, yeah, uh, which well, is open right now. But, uh, you know, when you know, we're traveling and hustling and bustling, again, that open back up. And those are pretty sweet. Like, 
especially if you have a layover in an airport, super nice to be able to go into those. So, so yeah. they the, have some benefits there. Um, Chase, the, my favorite car with Chase is by far the uh, Reserve, the Chase Ooh. Sapphire Reserve. Okay. And that card has a lot of great benefits, um, you know, including like car rental insurance and uh, travel insurance and a bunch of stuff that kind of goes with it if you use it to pay for your tickets and for your rentals and things like that. Um, and wait, so, wait, 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 wait. So the Sapphire gives you the loss, the loss of damage insurance, L- LBW? Yep. Yeah. So it also gives you bad coverage. It also gives you cancellation coverage. If your trip gets canceled because of a family emergency and stuff like that so it's actually a pretty awesome card so that's another one that i would recommend um, from a personal car perspective uh now for uh you know chase freedom is also really good from the sense of the rotating categories you can get five percent okay and the nice bonus there is you can actually transfer those rewards if you also have the chase sapphire reserve you can cha- transfer it to the Sapphire Reserve and use it for the bonus points on top of the 5%. You get an extra, I think it's an extra 50% bonus on top of it. So instead of being 5%, now it's, I want to say 7.5%. They actually get in rewards, which is pretty sweet. So, um, so those are a couple really good cards from a personal perspective. From a business perspective, my two favorite or two or three favorite are going to be the Chase Business Preferred card or the Chase Inc. card are two really good business cards. Yeah. Okay, the Inc. Cash card. Um, the other card they have um, uh, for Amex is the Gold card. That's another really good business card as well. Um, or the Platinum card, again, depending on which one you prefer. But the Gold card has a greater earnings potential, in my opinion, from a business perspective, especially if you do a lot of advertising um, or you have a lot of computer spend, um, like into it, for example, <laughs> you're spending subscription payments every month, stuff like that. So that has a lot greater benefits. So those are just a couple of, of my favorites that I actually use and, and, and things of that nature. So, okay. All right. So that's about credit cards. Anything else you want to throw in there? Uh, I think that's it. I think you're going to have me reevaluate my cards. <laughs> yeah, man. I, we got to talk some more about that. I didn't, um, to, get you up on the rewards game so all right uh and investing so what are some ways that you can invest this is kind of the last topic of of the podcast today and i just wanted to kind of touch on you know some different things and ideals uh, that you can do to actually invest um i don't know what do you do currently eric to invest some of your dollars uh invest well i invest in a uh in iul right now a what Index Universal Life. That's oh, okay. and then I'm looking to. That's uh, why you talk about real estate. I don't want to get into details, but I'm looking to uh, get to invest some multifamily this year. So, cool, awesome. It looks awesome. like we're gonna have a good enough year that I can finally get into that multifamily game. So this is yeah. a matter of certain deals fall uh, fall our way. They do, then I'll be investing it somewhere in Texas. We're looking at some uh, complexes. Uh, and we just got to wait for the money to come in on some signed contracts. And we want to particularly, if it gets signed in the next week or two, then we're going to be able to pull the trigger for sure by the end of the year. So I'll probably, hopefully within the next 12, 18 months, I should be one to two real estate syndicate groups. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. 
you know, from my perspective, some of the things that, you know, I invest in um, and some things that you can consider doing would be uh, there's various, you know, apps and, and things like that out there that you can kind of utilize. Um, a new one that I recently found is called Titan um, Invest. It's a uh, uh, an account where you can do either a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, or you can do a personal account and they basically do a lot of research and identify like 20 stocks that um, they think will have some good growth and you know they they will go ahead and you know invest your dollars for you and you know get you a, a profit depending on you know how much you want to put into it and things like that nature that's an option obviously you can i you know go to like a td ameritrade or any of those guys and open a brokerage account um and then you know trade in some individual stocks which i do a little bit of that um now most of my investing is actually in retirement accounts. So I've touched on this before. You know, I, I really encourage people to consider doing that and doing most of your investing inside of your tax deferred or tax free accounts um, to, you know, not have to worry about the tax implications of it. We talked about this on our last episode about cryptocurrency as well. Um, very okay. similar philosophy on basically everything from an investment perspective as much as possible try to get those into tax-free or tax-deferred accounts. So um, HSA, same thing, that's invested in individual stocks and, um, you know, some ETFs, things like that. So um, additionally, um, I live actually in the, ta the tax hack or the house hack that I was talking about where there is a casita in the backyard. Um, and so getting some rental incomes, paying for about uh, half the mortgage currently, but we're, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, build it up and refurbish it once this person moves out and, you know, potentially get pretty much the whole mortgage covered. And so are you, are you expanding the, uh, the ADU? Is that what you're doing? Nope. Not going to expand it, just uh, refreshing it. So it's a little outdated on the inside. And so going to add in some furniture and some things like that and potentially, you know, the, the goal would be to put it onto Airbnb for a long-term rental, like 30 days or more at a time and have it available for like travel nurses, for example, um, and some other executives that might just come into town and need a place to stay for a month or two during a project, those types of things. So. Okay, good. No, that, that, I think that's very good. Um, you know, I know people in San Diego, you know, we don't have the casitas out here in Austin. I think maybe some parts of Austin do. In San Diego, where I also spent, you know, where I live as well, that's very popular. Um, you know, they're, you know, they have the size limits, you know, and and they and they recently out there created a law that allows you to build one if your house didn't have one. Uh, but you know, if you're able to put a hundred thousand dollars down to casita, the long-term benefits of doing the math, it's worth it. It, it pays for itself very quickly. Is this that the up? It's the upfront cost. That's the that's just the tough part. So, okay, no, I agree. A um, couple other things that I'm doing right now is kind of recent, actually, the last year and a half or so, is crowdfunding. So, if you haven't heard about this, this is a new phenomenon where um, it started about maybe three or four years ago is when they first started mm -hmm. allowing this to occur. And ultimately what it is, and it's really grown uh, exponentially since because they just increased the investment limits. So, um, but ultimately what you can do is um, you, if you, 
you basically get to invest in startups is what it comes yes. down to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and doesn't matter if you're accredited or not. Usually startups were historically were, you know, limited to accredited investors, but now basically anybody can invest in them as long as they're raising under what's called regulation CF or regulation crowdfunding or under regulation A plus. Um, those are two options that are available to companies now to go out and raise dollars from the general public without having to go through an IPO process, which is very expensive and time consuming. So, you know, it makes it a little bit easier for some private companies to raise dollars and, um, and yeah, so it's, it's just a great tool to go ahead and invest in. Um, I actually had one deal invested in it last year around like May, I think it was like April actually, and it just got sold. Um, so this was Mevo, um, and it just got sold to Logitech and we ended up getting paid out. So within a year, I doubled my money basically off of this investment. So it was pretty cool to kind of see it come full circle. Um, and there's a bunch of different projects out there. Um, a lot of different opportunities. I mean, you can do convertible debt, you can do equity, you can do, um, a true debt where they just pay you basically an interest rate. Um, that's another thing option that's available is peer to peer lending that's out there where you can go out there and, you know, invest in people's personal loans, stuff like that. So there's so many different things you can do uh, to invest. But the key is at the end of the day to start investing. <laughs> that's the key. You, you can't make money if you don't put money to work for you. Hashtag pay yourself first. Like I said at the beginning, um, that's the goal. You want you to start investing um, and to get yourself to that, whatever that financial independence number is that you have in mind uh, to where you can live the American dream, uh, bridge the wealth gap and make your life that much better. Yeah, you got it. So anything else you want to touch on for our financial literacy podcast, Eric? Before nope. we wrap it up? Uh, well, actually, yes. If you don't know, you need help, contact us. Take care of your finances while you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Alrighty, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, this has been a, another wonderful episode of the CPA Huddle podcast. And we'll be back next week with some more exciting stuff. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about, but we'll come up with something interesting. Yes. To, Subscribe, uh, download. <laughs> Please leave us a review. If you leave us less than a five star, we think you're a hater. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to CPA Huddle. Add us to your listening rotation by subscribing wherever you get your podcast. Follow CPA Huddle across social media platforms. And for more information about the services provided by our respective firms, please check us out at www.ilcpa.com and www pierreaccounting.com. We will be back to huddle up soon.